Good morning. I was going to bring this lectern up for Darren to read from, but it only came up to his knees anyway, so it didn't really, wasn't really going to help. Today, um, it's such a blessing to have Darren and Kelly with us. Uh, they, like you said, they are members of the Kirk. They used to come here a lot, but it's hard for them to get from Chandler over to the Kirk. And so it's a blessing just to have them here worshiping with us and sharing a little bit about the ministry that they do and have been doing for so many years there at, um, at the Boys Ranch. We, we really appreciate their ministry and we're so blessed to be a partner with them in the work that they're doing. Amen. And so uh, I would like to have uh, Darren and Kelly stand as we pray for them um, and uh, just to kind of lift them up in their ministry. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cars. We thank you, Lord God, for their ministry. We pray a blessing upon them. We thank you for their family and uh, for the impact that these years have had on the lives of so many boys. And Lord God, we just pray that you would bless them that you would meet all of their needs, that you would give them wisdom and strength in the work that they do uh, as they lead this ministry in such a powerful way. We pray, Heavenly Father, for each boy that's at the ranch, each, each boy that is coming to the ranch, Lord God, and we pray that you would transform their lives through the power of your spirit and the love of your people. May the cars feel that they're not alone, that we stand with them, in the ministry that, they, that you've called them to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's give them a round of applause. They'll be in the lobby afterwards, so I want to encourage you to connect with them and get to know them a little bit, and uh, welcome them here this morning. All right, now before I get on with my sermon, I do want to tell you last week... Uh, I and my, my wife and I and also George Hertensteiner had the opportunity to go to Macedonia for about a week. Now, Macedonia is former Yugoslavia. It's a portion of that just north of Greece. And uh, we are supporting uh, two incredible ministries that are happening there and a whole group of uh, missionaries. And we just had the opportunity to connect with them after the pandemic and encourage them. And um, I had the opportunity to preach at the first evangelical church that has ever existed in the history of Tetovo, Macedonia. And isn't that exciting... So I don't know if you remember a number of years ago, a guy by the name of Philip Jackson came and preached here, and he called us to pray for the city of of Tetovo, and we have been praying for that city, that the Lord would plant a church, and this is the first public, it meets in a shopping mall. I mean, it's incredible what God is doing in this place, and the Lord has opened the doors for them to begin to publicly proclaim the truth of the gospel in this city that is majority Muslim, um, and this is a church for, for all people that are there. So exciting what God is doing. Now, when you take a trip like this, a lot of work goes in to the preparation before you ever go. Isn't that true? Whenever you take a trip, you gotta, you gotta buy the tickets. You gotta figure out who you're gonna meet with, who you're gonna talk to, set up uh, schedules to meet with people. Uh, and we had a lot of logistics that went into this trip. Of course, I didn't do anything. I didn't do any of it. 
George Hertensteiner did it all. He's sitting in the back there. And uh, he's an incredible blessing. He has gifts that way. Uh, but he did all of that work. And as I was thinking about that, thinking about this sermon, the truth is that this is the way it happens when God calls us. When we begin our journey, when God calls us, we think, well, that, that journey begins when we realize, when we become aware of the calling of God. But what we fail to realize is that God has been at work preparing years, maybe even generations, before we ever realized who God was and what was happening, okay? And that is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the story of the calling of David to be the king over Israel. Uh, just as Darren read in the scripture today, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing little story. We're going to take a look at this story and think through the three preparations of a person that God calls, how God prepares before that calling ever happens. So let's begin to talk about the story of David. We begin with the heritage of the called, the heritage of the called. Let's look at verse one. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. The Lord said, stop mourning for Saul. Well, who is Saul? If we're going to talk about David, you have to understand first who Saul was. The Bible says that Saul was called to be the first king of Israel. He was, according to the scriptures, head and shoulders above all of the people of Israel. He was a big dude. And he was an imposing presence. He was just the kind of guy you want to be a king and a warrior. That's who Saul was. He came from a prominent family uh, of the tribe of Benjamin. We have his lineage listed for us. He was from a, a particularly important family. And then he comes from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, the tribe of Benjamin geographically was established in between the two lead tribes of Israel. Uh, there were two tribes that were kind of the powerhouse tribes. One was Ephraim in the north and the other was Judah in the south. And Benjamin, little Benjamin, was sandwiched in the middle. So if you want a good compromise king, you pick him from Benjamin. He was strategic. He had everything going for him to be the best king, to be a great king in Israel. There was one problem, his character. Because Saul was all about Saul. He was all about himself. He was all about what was important to him rather than what was important to the people that he was serving. Sounds like some of our political leaders today, doesn't it? Same kind of deal. But the, the Bible says that God had rejected Saul. He was rejected by the Lord. And then the Lord says, I want you to fill your little horn with oil, and I want you to go anoint a new king, and I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. And so Samuel said, all right, I'll go. He fills his horn, and then he turns and he says to the Lord, wait a minute, Jesse of Bethlehem? Are you kidding? Who is that? And where is that? This is like a nobody from nowhere kind of calling. Let's talk a little bit about these places and who they are. 
Jesse comes from Bethlehem. Where is Bethlehem? I want you to think Drumright, Oklahoma. Have you ever been to Drumright? Have you ever done anything in Drumright more than drive through it? Okay, that was Bethlehem. Bethlehem was like a pass-through place. It was an important place at all. Drumright is just kind of there. The only reason I know anything about Drumright is because my daughter went to OSU and it lies on a secondary route to get to OSU, right? You go down to the Kellyville exit, you get onto Highway 33, and you drive through Drumright. And you don't stop because there's nothing there, right? I think they even closed the Sonic. There's nothing there in Drumright. And that's the way Bethlehem was. I can imagine him going, Bethlehem? Are you serious? Bethlehem? There's nothing there. If you remember, they would say the same thing about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? God has a thing for little places like that. See, I'm not really busting on small towns. (laughs) All right, so now let's talk about Jesse. Who was Jesse? Jesse was not from an important family. As a matter of fact, when King Saul later becomes jealous of David and wants to insult him, he doesn't call him by his name. He calls him the son of Jesse. And he meant that as an insult because Jesse was a nobody. And he was saying, who is this nobody? He's the son of Jesse. He's nobody. God calls Samuel to go to this place to anoint the new king. Truthfully, Jesse was a nobody. But if we look at his heritage, we see that God was doing something special. There's something special there. Because David's father was Jesse. And Jesse's father was a guy by the name of Obed. Could you imagine being named Obed? And Obed's father was Boaz. And Boaz had married this immigrant girl named Ruth. Now we know about them because there's a little four-chapter book sandwiched in the pages of the Old Testament called the Book of Ruth. And it's a great little story about this amazing young woman who is from Moab, of all places, and, she, and she's so faithful. She clings to her mother-in-law, and she defends this old woman who has lost everything, and she goes with her back to her home country of Israel, and she becomes a foreigner in a strange land just so that she could care for this woman. She was so faithful, and so righteous. And she ends up uh, meeting this man named Boaz. And Boaz was a man of integrity and honor in the community. He was a man who kept his promises and knew what the Lord wanted him to do. The two of them fell in love in a barley field in Bethlehem. It's a story of love. It's a story of faithfulness. Most of all, it's a story about keeping promises. This is the heritage of David. The values and the characters of the character of this family is seen reflected in this young man, David. That is why he was chosen, because of the, the heritage that was reflected in his life. We're the product of moms and dads and 
grandpas and grandmas who reflect the character of Jesus Christ and the values of Scripture, who have built them into our lives. How many of you have a godly parent or a godly grandparent in your life that you look back to and you say, they made a difference in my life. Many of us, right? We're in this room today because of the heritage of the people that have sown into our lives the very nature of Christ and a love for the scripture. I remember my own parents. My parents weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but by golly, they had us in church every Sunday. Every single Sunday, we were in church. And that had an impact on my life. Not only that, but when I got out of line, they wanted to redirect me into the character of Christ. You imagine? They helped me to communicate with the sufferings of Jesus. Okay? In order to realign my attitude. But I, I'm thankful for that discipline in my life because it helped me to develop the character of Christ in my own life. That's what parents do. That's what they're supposed to do. But probably most of all, my mom and dad would sit down on Tuesday nights and study the Bible with us as a family. I look back on those times and I think, how amazing. And the love of the scripture that they had was communicated to me. And I love the scripture today because of that time that they spent with me building those values into my life. You see, God plays the long game. Sometimes his game goes on for generations and generations. The Lord doesn't just call us to do great things, but to disciple great people. Amen? You know, we think about our own calling and we think, God, what are you calling me to do? What great thing do you want me to do? Maybe it's not about you. Maybe you're to pour your life into another person, into the next generation, into your children or your grandchildren so that they become the ones who do great things for the kingdom. That was certainly true for Boaz and Ruth. We would have never heard of Boaz and Ruth if it wasn't for David. The story of Boaz and Ruth was written after David becomes king. We know that because David's lineage isn't the end of the book. And so we know that this is someone scratching their head and say, where did this kid come from? He's incredible. And they said, oh man, you should have known his great-grandparents. And that's where the story comes from. How many, how many think that in uh, some future generation is going to write about you saying, yeah, they made an impact in my life. That person was my Sunday school teacher. That person was my youth group, small group leader. And they so impacted my life that I went and did great things for God. You see, God is calling us not only to do great things, but to invest in people who have the potential to do great things in the future. Amen? Being a parent is important. Being a, a, a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader is important. This is part of what God calls us to do because it is the heritage that God is creating. Okay, the heritage of the called. Secondly, the second preparation is the humility of the called. 
Let's go on with the story. Samuel did what the Lord said. So when he arrived at Bethlehem, he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So the first son, all these sons kind of parade in front of, uh, in, in front of Samuel, the prophet. And the first son steps up and he's tall and he's handsome and he's strong and he's dashing. And Samuel goes, I see, Lord, this guy looks like a king. This is the guy. This has to be the guy. And the Lord says what? not the guy not the guy why he looks just like Saul and how'd that work out for you not well not well at all you see Eliab looked just like the way worldly leaders look but the Lord says this do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. You know, this is my life verse. <laughs> this is my life verse, amen? Right? It's not important how tall you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. God doesn't look at those things. Those aren't the things that God measures. The world measures differently. Let's take a look at what David looked like. God eventually calls David to come. Samuel says, don't you have any more kids? I know God said Jesse of Bethlehem. Do you have any more children? And, and Jesse says, well, yeah, the little one, David, but he's out watching the sheep. And Samuel says, well, go get him. What are you waiting for? I said all your boys, Right? And so they go and get David. We will stand and we will wait until he comes, they said. And so they did. They waited for David. And David shows up. What does he look like? The Bible explains it to us. He's out tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him, for we will not sit down until he arrives. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. That word there that says he was glowing with health. The Bible actually says he was red. He was red. Well, if you look at his face and it's red, what does that tell you? Well, he's been outside working, right? He was out in the fields taking care of the sheep. Kid was sunburned, right? He's red from working. Not only that, they had sent a servant probably out into the field to go call David, and then David ran all the way back to town so that he could be at the party that he had been excluded from by his own dad because his dad didn't believe that he was even had the potential that God would choose him. And he runs back. He's eager. He's determined. This is David. And the Lord says, this is the guy. This is the one that I have chosen. You see, David didn't look like the one that we would expect. He was not the expected choice because God has different qualifications. You see, God measures with a different measuring tape doesn't he? This is a measuring tape of the world. This is the outside. This is what the outside looks like. 
But that's not what God is measuring, is he? God measures character. He measures the inside. He measures things that are not tangible, that are harder to measure. The world looks at what is visible, but God looks at what is inside of us, what is invisible. God chose him, and he was different. If if you look at the Bible, you realize that God has a pattern of choosing the weak over the strong. He chooses the last over the first. He chooses the humble over the proud. He chooses the unexpected over the sure thing. Think about Jacob. Jacob and Esau, remember? They're twins. The first one to pop out is Esau. He's the oldest. He's the one that should get the birthright. But yet God had not chosen Esau. God chose Jacob. Now, Jacob wasn't a walk in the park. He was a piece of work. But Esau did not have a heart that was toward God. There was something wrong on the inside with Esau. Esau didn't want to follow God. He didn't want the promises of God. Jacob wanted them probably for the wrong reasons. And God works and he disciplines and he shapes Jacob. But Jacob is the one who has chosen. Think about Joseph. The last of ten brothers. Ten brothers. Many of them having a claim to be the leader of the family. God chooses little Joey. Joey was the right choice. Because Joe was a man of integrity. He had a pride problem, but he was a man of integrity. God takes him into Egypt, breaks his pride, and then uses him to save his family from certain death and destruction. Not only to save his family, but all of Egypt and the surrounding peoples. Think about Moses. Moses was 80 years old when God called him. Age is not an excuse for God's calling. God called him when he was 80 years old. And Moses says, are you serious? And God said, yes. Because now you're ready. You're just the right one at just the right time. The unexpected. God does the unexpected. Why? Why does God do this? Because God wants his people to see him as their leader, to see him as their father, to see him as their deliverer, not the tool that's in his hand. We're just a tool in God's hand. Amen? God doesn't want to show off the tool. He wants the praise and glory to come to him because he's the one doing the work. And so the more simple the tool, the better God is seen in what he's doing. This is important for us to realize. Many times you may think, God, can you use me? Can you use me? I'm too, you fill in the blank, I'm too small. I'm too old. I'm too stupid. I'm too, whatever it might be. God, I'm too sinful. You can't use me. And God says, it's not about you anyway. God is best seen 
God shines best through our humility. If you want to look at stars at night, what do you do? Well, you wait till the night is the darkest, right? And then you go as far away from cities and ambient light as you can because the stars are best seen. They shine the brightest against the blackest sky. And the same is true with the Lord. You see, when the Lord is at work, he's seen best when he's using a humble instrument, a humble vessel, because then the focus is on him, not on us. That's why he chose David rather than Eliab. That's why Saul got rejected, because it was all about Saul. But David had this quality of humility and this quality of humility that is built into us is the previous work of God preparing us for the calling that we have. So we talked about the heritage of the call. We talked about the humility of the call. Now let's talk about the heart of the call. Look at verse eight. It says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. So if we're going to understand why God chose David, we need to think about what was in David's heart. The first thing that we learn about David is that he was a shepherd. God had been training and developing his leadership skills in the pasture. In the pasture. That's where he develops into the person that God could use. What are some of the things that he learns in the pasture? He learns to endure loneliness. Because it's lonely out there watching the sheep. You start talking to goats, man. It's rough. You're out there with the sheep. And nobody else is around. You deal with loneliness. David would spend 15 years running from Saul, hiding in caves. He had to be able to deal with loneliness. And God prepared him to deal with loneliness in the pasture. He learned to care for and protect the weak because sheep are really stupid. And they're really weak. They're vulnerable animals. And the shepherd has to be on his toes and he has to defend and protect and care for the sheep that are always getting themselves into trouble. Just like the people of Israel. You see, David was preparing to become king. He didn't know it, but that preparation was happening in the pasture. He learned to guide the sheep to greener pastures to take them where they needed to be so that they could eat. Even if that was difficult, he had to take his eyes and his focus off of himself and his own comfort and take those sheep as far away as they needed to go to find the food that was important to them, for them to thrive. And so David endured the loneliness and he went far away and he found those green pastures so that the sheep would prosper It built patience in his life. It's boring watching sheep, sitting around, watching the sheep. 
would have rather been at the party with the other brothers, at the sacrifice when the big famous prophet was coming to town. But no, I'm out there watching the sheep. But the Lord was building patience into his life. And David needed patience. You see, God is forming his heart. David, while he's out there with the sheep, develops an intimacy with God. He's plucking away on his lyre or whatever he played. Right? And he writes the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some of the most famous words in the, in the Bible are written while David's in the pasture, reflecting on God as his shepherd. You see, David developed this intimacy, and those are the things that happen when we're in the pasture. Moses spent 40 years following the sheep. Same deal. Learning the same lessons that David would learn generations later. Becoming the leader that God needed, not the leader that he had been formed into by the Egyptian training that he had received, but becoming a God kind of leader in the pasture. That's what's happening here. The God kind of leader is not the strength of a warrior. It's not the intellect of a diplomat. It's the compassion and the patience and the faithfulness of a shepherd. And this is what God was developing in his life and in his heart. Maybe God's been training you in the pasture. Maybe you felt like you've been in the wilderness. Maybe you felt like you've been in the wilderness for quite a long time. Maybe you feel like you've been alone and you've been asking God, where are you? What's going on? Why have been, I've been sidelined. What am I doing here? He's building that patience into your life because God has a plan for you. He wants to use you, but just like David, he's got to form your heart. He's got to turn you into the person that he needs to make a difference in the world. In the course of the story, we find out that David was courageous. He was courageous. We find out that that happened when he was out in the pasture, right? Because a bear and a lion came to attack the sheep. And what did David do? I killed him. Dude, man, that's rough. David killed the lion. He killed the bear. And because this giant's coming along and threatening the people, I know I can take him out too. David had a confidence in him didn't contradict the humility in his life, but he had this courage that had been built into his life. It existed there. He developed this courage and was willing to stand against Goliath. God needs people of courage to stand against the giants of our culture. Amen? We got giants. We got giants that are threatening 
the expansion of the kingdom of God, the very existence of the kingdom of God. That's not a problem for God. It just means he needs a few more Davids, right? Who have the courage to stand against the giants. What intrigues me about David is the way that he defeats the, the giant. He doesn't wear the armor of the king. He picks up what is most abundant, a rock. A rock. When I went to Israel, one of the first things I realized when I went there was there are a lot of rocks there. You know, we look around, we see trees and dirt. You look around there, you see rocks. That's all you see is rocks everywhere. And I went down, this is from the Valley of Elah, probably from the same brook that David picked up his rock. He picked up a bunch of rocks. He took what was common and he used it to defeat the giant. What's in your hand? What do you have that is common, that is abundant in your life? You may say, I can't serve God. I can't do anything great for God. I'm just a mom taking care of my kids. Then kill the giant being a mom. Pour your life into those children. So they become all that God wants them to be. You may say, well, I can't do anything. I can, all I could do is pray. Well, then pray. Pray. Pray with all your heart. Maybe you say, well, I, you know, for the last several years, all I've been doing has been taking care of my ill parents. Well, give Shauna a call. We got a lot of sick people that need care. That's one of the best ways to communicate the love of God. What has God put in your hands? What is abundant in your life that you can use to slay the giant? This looked so impractical, but it was just what was needed. And the same is true for us. What has God placed in your hands? How do we get courage? Where does courage come from? Courage comes from crises, right? We experience a crisis in our life, and when that crisis happens, we trust in the Lord, and the Lord sees us through. And then all of a sudden we go, I can trust God, because God sees me through. When the next crisis comes, you got a little more confidence and a little more courage, right? David didn't start out killing bears and lions. He probably killed gophers first, right? He probably started out small. And that confidence began to grow and that courage began to grow. And then he graduated from bears and lions to giants. The same is true with us. You see, we hate to be in the midst of a crisis in our life, but yet God allows crises into our lives so that we develop the courage, the faith, the trust in him so that when the time comes, he can use us to slay the giants of our world. Ultimately, it is the spirit in us that makes the difference. Look at the end of the story. It says, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took him, took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The spirit of the Lord filled David. 
It wasn't David who was going to do all that God wanted him to do. It was the spirit of the Lord that was within him. You see, that's the most important thing in our heart is the spirit of God that's active in our lives, that is accomplishing his purposes, that is using us as an instrument, as a weapon in his hand to slay the giants of the world. This is the story of David, and this is the story of all who are called. You see, God calls us, but before we even realize his calling, he's preparing through our heritage, building humility into our lives, and shaping our heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that it is transformational in our lives. It opens our eyes to the truth of who you are and how you move within us. And so, Lord God, we pray today that you would develop in us this heart, the heart of David, a heart of courage, to be the kind of leaders that you've called us to be. Lord, we trust in you as you carry out what you desire to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.